the world's favorite tax collector who became a follower of Jesus. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through 28 days of Matthew. Long um, journey ahead of us, uh, starting today in Matthew 26, uh, Jesus is now heading towards death. Uh, tomorrow is the is the death of Jesus, and then Friday is the resurrection of Jesus. So it's, like I said, it just seems to come so quickly. We spend uh, so much time in our church year for Lent and then Holy Week to you know to do this whole uh, prepare ourselves for the death of Jesus, and for to have it just happen in two days is really a very very. Um, jarring, I guess, because uh, the death of Jesus is something that we should contemplate and reflect on. And having a whole week to reflect on it is wonderful, but to have the preparation of one day and the and the death of one day and the resurrection of one day, it just seems jarring. Uh, but we will get through this, and uh, then on Friday we will be done with 28 days of Matthew. Uh, and so tomorrow, um, or maybe Friday, Uh, I'm going to lay out some ideas of what to do next, and uh, maybe you can provide some input uh, as to what you would like to do. I've got I've got some really good ideas. I've got some ideas. I don't know if they're good ideas. (laughs) I have some some ideas. Let's put it that way. And then um, and then um, uh, I'll decide uh, over the weekend, and then we'll start again next week. So uh, we are in Matthew 26, and Matthew 26 uh, is pretty much uh, the beginning of the end for Jesus earthly life. Um, And there's a lot of stuff out there today. So uh, we're just going to go ahead and go right into it and see where God leads us. Uh, So uh, if you've got your Bible, you're welcome to join me or we've got it online here. We are now in Matthew 26. And um, this is now, um, this is now, like I said, the beginning of the end. So verse one, when Jesus had finished saying, All these things he said to his disciples. As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priests, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. So uh, they've decided, the Pharisees, Caiaphas, the chief priests, everybody, they decided that Jesus has to go. Um, He is too much of a threat to their way of life. He's too much of a threat for their power. Uh, He's too much of a threat for overthrowing uh, everything. And so uh, they've decided he has to go. Uh, And Jesus knows this. He says the Passover is two days away, and I'm going to be handed over, and I'm going to be crucified. Uh, they don't want to do it during the festival. This is the festival of Passover, which ends uh, Thursday night. Uh, but they do want to. They do want to get it done, right? And so, uh, the 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 scene has been set. I guess you could say uh, they're going to do it secretly. They're going to do it quietly. They're going to do it at night, and they're going to do it in such a way that they pray that the people that followed Jesus into Jerusalem, hoping that he would be the new King David sitting on the throne, that that crowd following Jesus, that they could kill him and at the same time not have the crowd riot, right? And the only way you can do that uh, is to get rid of the leader 
uh, and make it such a powerful thing that the people refuse to riot, okay? Um, and so that's, that's kind of the stages set. Uh, and then what happens after that uh, is this. Verse 6, While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So now we have this great anointing of Jesus with this perfume. He goes out to uh, Bethany. Now you'll remember Bethany is about two miles east of uh, the temple. It's where uh, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha live. Uh, it's a community where Jesus would go to uh, quite frequently. He wouldn't necessarily always be in Jerusalem. He would go out to his friend's house in Bethany. Uh, this is where he raised Lazarus from the dead. So uh, Jesus is very familiar with that. He's in the home. It says here that he's in the home of Simon the leper. Uh, so this is another person um, in Bethany. Uh, and then this, this lady comes up to him. Now, uh, she's unnamed here in Matthew, but in other Gospels, she is given the name of Mary Magdalene. And if you know Mary Magdalene, she is, uh, she is a person that was driven out seven demons. She followed Jesus. Uh, she loves Jesus. Uh, and uh, obviously, this is expensive perfume. So wherever he is, he's in the home of uh, people who have means, who have wealth. And this lady comes and she takes this alabaster jar perfume. Now, we're not exactly sure um, what the perfume was, but uh, most likely it was very, very expensive. An alabaster jar is, is a, it's a kind of a form of stone that's soft so you can carve it. Uh, it's translucent, so it's a really, really beautiful decorated jar, most likely decorated jar a very, very expensive perfume. We know it's expensive because the disciples say, what in the world is going on, right? Um, and, they, and she pours this very expensive perfume on Jesus. And so this perfume, it represents, if you've ever been around people who have means, and I mean a lot of means, uh, that once they've met their basic physical needs, right? They've got food, they've got clothing, they've got shelter, and then they want to uh, elevate themselves into society, into society to show that they're, you know, that they are important people, that they have wealth and all that sort of thing in the earthly kingdom. Um, one of the things they might do, you know, today it might be paintings or it might be yachts. <laughs> it might be a very expensive restaurant, exclusive club, uh, whatever it is to show that they are worthy people, uh, in Jesus' day, it would have been perfume. This perfume could have been made locally, but most likely this perfume came from a faraway place and it represented more than just 
the actual value of the perfume. It represented that this person was respectable and had wealth and was very powerful. And for this lady to take all of this perfume, not all of it, but to take this perfume and pour it over Jesus' head represented an act of sheer abandon that uh, because once it's poured over Jesus' head, this perfume is gone or a good portion of this perfume is gone and it's not to be had again. The value of the perfume in the jar representing the wealth that this person has all of a sudden gets poured over Jesus' head. And the disciples are like, what are you doing? You can't do this. Look at how much money you just wasted to, to do this. Um, I, I have a story that I'll kind of share. Do I have time? Yeah, I've got a little, a little bit of time. Uh, I, when I was right in college, I worked in Phoenix. Actually, it was a, it was a, it's Scottsdale, Arizona. It's the east suburb of Phoenix. And Scottsdale, Old Town Scottsdale had these old shops and, and they would have restaurants. They had this one restaurant, it's a five-star restaurant. It was a, uh, a French restaurant called La Chamière. And I worked there uh, in this restaurant. And this is where people went to have a very, very, very fine meal. And uh, when I say a fine meal, I mean, even back then, this would have been 1982, 83, working at this restaurant, a typical meal, I mean a typical meal, this isn't a very expensive meal. This is like a low-end typical meal. You're gonna have the dinner and, the, and wine, and that's all you're gonna have, would typically cost a couple hundred dollars. I mean, this was a very, very expensive restaurant. And in that restaurant, they had a wine list. And on the wine list, the very number one bottle of wine was a Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, I think it was 1945 or 1947, a very, very, at that time, a 40-year-old bottle of wine, a very much present on the wine menu, and then they had other wines, and I can't remember how much this wine was, but I think it was maybe approaching $1,000. And what was interesting is that um, when, we, uh, when we would have people come into the restaurant, some people came there because they just wanted a very, very fine meal. Most people came there because it was the place to go if you had money. But every once in a while, you get somebody who would come into this restaurant because they just received money. Maybe they won the lottery or uh, most likely won the lottery. And they would come into the restaurant and they would just start throwing money around because this was one of the most expensive restaurants in Scottsdale. They start throwing money around. And they would see this bottle of Chateau Lafitte Rothschild on the menu. And what is the first thing they want to do? They said, I want that bottle of wine. Now, the thing is, is that they only had one bottle of Chateau Lafitte Rothschild. So buying that bottle of wine would mean that we would have to cross out from the wine list that we don't have that wine anymore. And on top of that, uh, that the prestige of this restaurant having that wine wouldn't be there anymore. So basically, it was on the wine menu and it was actually on the premises. It, it was there to be sold, but there was no way on God's green earth that the people that ran this restaurant, the guy who ran the, the, I guess you could say the wine steward, very, very fancy restaurants have a wine steward and they also have a maitre d'. In this restaurant, the two were the same. The maitre d' Charles was also the wine steward. So whenever somebody would order, and it probably only happened a couple times when I was at the restaurant, uh, whenever somebody would order the Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, they'd say, well, let me get the wine steward. So 
Charles would put on his bow tie and he would put on his jacket and he would come out to the table and he'd say, yes, yes, you want the wine. He says, absolutely, very, very fine wine. Uh, you will enjoy this vine very much, he said. Um, it is a Chateau Lafitte Rothschild 1945 and uh, it, is, it needs to be decanted and it has to breathe. So I will get it for you uh, and we will prepare it. It takes about four or five hours for the wine to breathe and then uh, we can decant it. And uh, you should be out of here by midnight, one or two o'clock in the morning. That would be fine. Uh, no, 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 you don't have to do all that stuff. I just bring it out here and we'll drink it. Oh, no, sir, you don't understand. This is one of the most beautiful bottles of wine. You cannot just drink it, sir. No, we have to, we have to cook a special uh, meal with it and we have to get make sure that your palate is ready for it. And, uh, you know, you, it's going to take you a couple of hours just to figure out what meal you want. No, 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 sir. You're not going to... So family would wear these people down. And they would absolutely not uh, order the wine. So at, when I left that restaurant, that bottle of 1945 Lafitte Rothschild was still in the wine cellar. It was a wine cellar. Um, and uh, and, it, and the prestige of the restaurant continued on. But uh, that that I, I tell you that story because there are just some things in life that you have on the shelf that you don't necessarily use. They're there for prestige or honor or something like that. Or if you do use it, you just use a very little bit of it. Uh, and so for this lady to take this bottle of perfume and just pour it over Jesus, and you have to know it's an expensive amount of perfume, you can see why, why the disciples would say, oh my goodness, this could have been sold. Think of how much money we would have. But Jesus honors the lady. She, and he says, you'll be honored from this time forevermore because of this act you're doing. Because you're, not, you're taking this bottle of wine, which not bottle of wine, but the bottle of perfume. It's not just the perfume and it's not just the alabaster jar. It's the, it's the wealth and the prestige, prestige that goes with it. And basically what they're doing is just they're giving it all to Jesus and pouring it onto him and saying, everything that we have is you are worthy of it. And Jesus takes this one gesture of kindness and of honor before he's about to die and accepts it. He says, you can always get another jar of perfume. You'll always have poor people. You know, all, all, the, thi all the arguments that you're saying, don't do this. They are honoring me and they're serving me and they should be honored and served because of it. And, uh, and so they pour this on Jesus. And, uh, and Jesus is honored and this, and this lady is honored. Uh, in other gospels, it's, it's actually Mary Magdalene who does this. In this one, it's unnamed. Uh, but the but the act is still the same. It's the anointing of Jesus. All right. So then we get now. Now the plot begins. Verse fourteen. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, "What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you?" So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So now the stage has been set, Jesus has been anointed, and now Judas goes out to the chief priests and says, what will you give me if I'll hand him over to you? And they said, 30 pieces of silver. Now we hear 30 pieces of silver and we think that's a lot of money. Um, it's, it's probably not a lot of money. At, at the low end, uh, it might be a denarius, which is a day's worth of wages. Uh, for minimum labor. So if you calculate minimum labor today, $13, $15, let's say $15 an hour, 
uh, times eight hours, that's 120 times 30, $3,600. So at the low end is $3,600. At the high end, it might be maybe double that. They're just not sure what this was. Uh, and it seems like a low price to me. It's always seemed like a low price to me to betray the Son of Man. But Judas does it because you can see uh, the disciples, they still don't get it, right? They don't understand that there's two kingdoms. There's an earthly kingdom and a heavenly kingdom. Jesus is into the heavenly kingdom. The earthly kingdom is going to pass away and the heavenly kingdom will remain forever. Uh, and while the, Jesus talked about it and he said all the parables about it and all the teachings about it and everything, still they don't get it, but they will. They will get it. And this guy Judas, he realizes that that the end is near. Jesus is just told that he's going to be handed over and crucified. And Judas is like, well, what's going to happen after that? We're, we're going to be crucified. At most, we should get out of Dodge. But if we get out of Dodge, we have nothing. We have nothing but a bunch of stories of, from this rabbi. And that's not going to be enough to keep us alive. Uh, and so he goes to the chief priests and, and he says, what will, you, what will you give me if I betray Jesus? And they give him 30 pieces of silver. So... I don't think it's a lot of money, but uh, it's done, and what is done is done. And so uh, Judas is looking for an opportunity to hand over Jesus, and one comes up. Verse 17, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after another, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. But Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this is our very, very, very famous Last Supper. It's, it's painted by da Vinci. It's a big, big rug of it on our ministry center. Uh, this has been celebrated by Christians uh, throughout time. And it itself is a celebration, as you may be aware, of the Passover of the Jewish people when they were rescued out of slavery in Egypt. If you'll remember in the Old Testament Genesis, you have all the Old Testament patriarchs. You have God's covenant to, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Joseph goes into Egypt. Egypt uh, 
while there in Egypt, he becomes Pharaoh's number two. But then generations come after, after Joseph, they end up becoming slaves. Uh, and then Moses is in the wilderness in Exodus, and he uh, has this encounter with God. And God says, you need to go and, and get my people out. And the quintessential story of the Old Testament, the, the one that every Jew looks at as the center of the narrative and the arc of the narrative, as we look at Jesus as the center of our arc of the narrative with Christianity, it's really the Passover and being rescued from slavery out of Egypt, which is the center of the ark for the Jewish uh, people. And so Jesus ties in that center of the ark with his center of ark, and they combine it to one story that's centered in Jesus. And so when Jesus has this Passover meal, he's saying to the people around him, I am the center ark of the story of the world. Everything comes to me. The Old Testament and me and the future of the church, it all comes together at this point, and it's the Passover meal. And we still celebrate this Passover meal. When we do communion, uh, we celebrate this. And the words of institution, a uh, large part, part of it come from here, from Matthew. Uh, the, the Passover is, is, is said in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not in John, uh, but it's also in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, where Paul references the words, uh, what we call the words of institution or these words of Jesus. And basically what Jesus says here in this Last Supper is uh, this meal, this Last Supper, I'm pouring out myself for you and to continue to do this until the day we can do it again at the resurrection. And so um, when we celebrate the Passover together, uh, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we not only look back at the time when Jesus uh, instituted this or told his disciples to do this and the church that continues to do it, but it is all a foretaste of this feast to come. It's just a glimpse of the great feast that we will have with the bridegroom when we sit at the great wedding banquet in the household of God and live with him forever. And so when we come together for a whole bunch of reasons, one of them is that we will celebrate this Passover with Jesus uh, in completion at the, at the end of time. And uh, that's a great reason to celebrate. That's a great reason to look forward to the Passover. Um, there's other reasons uh, why we celebrate, but that's the main one that comes out of Matthew here. So, uh, and it is uh, poured out, this is my covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, so we believe that Jesus forgave our sins and we celebrate that forgiveness every time we do the Lord's Supper that we recognize that Jesus forgave our sins. We are forgiven. We're part of the kingdom. We have all the rights and privileges of being in the kingdom. And every time we gather together as a church to celebrate the Lord's Supper, it, it gathers us together as community to celebrate uh, this great gift that God gave us. So a um, lot more could be said on the Last Supper, but we want to we wanna move forward. Verse 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. 
And all the other disciples said the same. Oh, no, 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 Jesus, we'll never abandon you. Oh, no, 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 Jesus, we'll be with you to the end. I don't care what they do to you, Jesus. I will be there with you. It will be, it will be you and me and these other 12 or whoever it is, and we will make sure that this doesn't happen to you. But if they're, if they're going to go through you, Jesus, they're going to have to go through me first, right? Um, there's no way we're going to let them go through you, Jesus. So they have to go through me. Uh, I will never betray you. And of course, it's Peter, my favorite disciple, um, saying to Jesus, I'll never betray you. But we know that he does, right? We know that, that he betrays him three times, but that's at, the, that's the end of this chapter. So we'll get into that. But again, Matthew says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. This is again, an Old Testament prophecy that Jesus is the Messiah from the Old Testament. Even, even here, Matthew points it out. And Jesus even says, I will be risen. I will go ahead of you. So Peter sees the whole story he's been talking about it three times. He said, you know, I'm going to die, but then I'm going to rise again. Even here, he says, I'm going to rise again. Peter says, okay, I'll be there with you to the end. Well, we see how that turned out. All right, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. That's James and John. They went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. He took Peter and James and John along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found again them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. And the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of the sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So now we have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's there with his disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, his closest friends. He's asked them to be there while he struggles with this thing. Now, Jesus said he's going to be crucified. We know that uh, that is probably likely what's going to happen. That is the form of torture that they had. If you understand uh, anything about people who are in power, even today, uh, around the world you have dictators, and if, if they control everything and there's nobody stopping them, they have a sovereign kingdom, then they, uh, with abandon, will do whatever it is they need to do to make sure they stay in power. That's how power works. Uh, here in the United States, we don't do that because we have power of the free speech and we have power of uh, three branches of government. I guess you could say we have the fourth branch, the fourth estate, which is the press. But all of that works together to make sure 
that voices are heard so you can speak truth to power. But in many places throughout time and throughout the geography of the world today, there are still places where power is so held onto so tightly that they have to kill people who are dissidents. And not only kill them, but throughout history, they've tortured them. They wanna make an example out of them. This is not just killing Jesus, my friends. This is making Jesus an example so that nobody comes after Jesus, not one of his disciples, not anybody in the crowd, not anybody who might want to overthrow the Roman government or the Jewish government. Uh, this, Jesus will be made an example. And the way you make an example over anybody in a political dissident situation is that you kill them in one of the most horrific ways you possibly can. And so the Roman Empire, the way that they had chosen was to crucify people, put them on this cross and let them slowly die an agonizing death. Uh, so Jesus knows that his this is coming. Most likely he knows that he's gonna be whipped, scourged. Uh, throughout history, you've seen all sorts of horrible ways that people have tried to, uh, to make an example out of people who would be political dissidents. And we've seen horrible examples, burning at the stake, uh, you know, drawing and courting, you know, the wheel. Uh, there's just many, 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 many different ways of terrible, painful death. And uh, my only prayer is that when these people died, uh, particularly people who died for the cause of Jesus Christ, that, that God was merciful to them and took away the pain of this death early on. And Jesus knows this is coming. He says, I don't want it. Jesus is, is fully human, fully man. And the fully human part of him does not want to go through this. He prays to the Father, please, Lord, take this away from me. But he knows that this must happen. He knows that the, the thorns on his head and the scourging and the crucifixion, all of this must happen so that he completes the task that Jesus came to complete which is basically to redeem us from our sin. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the sacrifice upon which all Old Testament sacrifices look forward to, to make them holy. He is the completion of all the earth. Uh, and that is what he's come to do. And he is boldly going to do it. The disciples say, we're going to be there with you, Jesus. But they don't. And while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with him was a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would scriptures be fulfilled? that say it must happen in this way. In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? 
Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then the disciples deserted him and fled. So they come out to arrest Jesus, the Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests. They gather together their people. They've convinced him that Jesus needs to die, and they need to go out with their clubs. Uh, they need to make a riot to show uh, that when they come back to destroy Jesus, that there was this huge crowd that says, we have to get rid of this guy. It's not just the chief priests and Levites. It's all of us that we want him dead because he's, he's an insurrectionist. We don't, he's against Rome. He's against our, our religion. He's against everything. We have to get rid of this guy. And they had to make it legal. And Jesus is like, put away your swords. Just put all that away. I'll go with you. I know what I'm here for. You could have arrested me anytime. Uh, you, you are a false crowd. You are a false crowd following a false leader. Uh, and you've come to arrest me. I go willingly. And he does. So uh, he goes with these guards. They're guards of the chief priests and the Levites. They're not necessarily the Roman guards. They're the, maybe they're on loan from Rome, but they, they go uh, to get Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to go with you peacefully. And he does. And then you have this last thing. The disciples deserted him and fled. So even at the end, there was nobody with Jesus. Uh, he stands by himself. Everybody sees on the writing on the wall one person has to die, and only one person, and that's the leader of this movement. Uh, they could try to put up a fight. Uh, they could fight this crowd. They could say, no, this is wrong. Uh, but Jesus, and they're ready to do that. They're ready to have a fight. But Jesus says, no, this is what must happen. This fulfills all prophecy. It makes complete everything from the Old Testament. This time is the completion. And so they flee. They say, fine, Jesus, you don't want us to fight we're going to go. And so they go. And Jesus goes before. Those that arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and he sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow says, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look. Now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. And others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? So he goes before the Sanhedrin and they sentence him to death. The charge, blasphemy. Uh, they spit on him. 
They destroy him. Uh, and now he is sentenced to death and he will be put to death. Um, Jesus is alone. Now Peter's in the courtyard. He's watching all this, but he can't. Once Jesus is sentenced to death, that's it. Only one has to die this night, and that's Jesus of Nazareth. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And then he went out to the gateway, where another servant girl saw him and said to the people, This fellow, uh, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he said to call, then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter, bold Peter, remembered the words that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and he wept bitterly. So uh, Peter, bold Peter, who said he would never deny Jesus, he would die with Jesus if he needed to, uh, denied Jesus three times and went out and wept bitterly. The grief of disowning Jesus was overwhelming. But in a way, we've all disowned Jesus, right? We've all... Uh, through our sins and our actions, there have been times when we have not been bold to who Jesus is and what we believe about him. Uh, but nothing like the betrayal of his 12, nothing like the betrayer, betrayal of Peter. Jesus had to die alone, and he does. And we find that out tomorrow. Uh, so I think I'll end it here. Uh, tomorrow is the crucifixion. And then Friday, uh, the big reveal. <laughs> that the kingdom of God goes on. So will you join me with prayer? Dear Jesus, what a horrible way to die. But you did it willingly. You didn't even put up a fight because this was something you were called to do. It was something that you did willingly because of your love for us. Uh, for that, we thank you. Lord, our love for you is not as strong. And for that, uh, we ask for your forgiveness. But we know that you have forgiven us because your death forgives us of every time we've ever denied you. Be with us this week. Be with our world as we continue to be in exile. This we pray to you because you are a great, you are a great king. In your name we pray.